0: Welcome to the History Chicks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Beckett and I would like to say thanks to all of our micro-sponsors,
1: including Carolyn, Stephanie, Kathleen, Susan, Laura, and Cassie, and all the others, who've clicked the donate button on the website at thehistorychicks.com. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And here's your 30-second summary.
0: A privileged woman born into a privileged family and a privileged society sets out to make her life's work maintaining and controlling those standards, keeping out anyone who she deemed unworthy by crowning herself queen and attempting to establish a peerage of worthies. The end. Let's just drop her into history. In 1872, the Metropolitan Museum of Art opens in New York City. Yellowstone becomes our first national park. Victoria Woodhull becomes the first woman nominated for U.S. President. She does not win. (laughs) Ulysses S. Grant, however, is re-elected president. Calvin Coolidge and L.L. Bean were both born that year, and in 1872, the first Patriarch Ball was held, cementing Caroline Webster Skirmerhorn as the gatekeeper of New York High Society in the Gilded Age. Let's talk about the Mrs. Astor Caroline Webster Skirmerhorn. Now, there is some discussion out there about the correct pronunciation of Skirmerhorn. We've chosen Skirmerhorn, but Beckett, you did a lot of research on this. And I actually called,
1: I called up to Brooklyn and, um, just kind of randomly asked people, so how do you pronounce the name of your street? Now, I will say most fell down on Skirmerhorn, so that's what we've gone with. I had Skarmerin. Yep. I had Shermerhorn, which I'm sure is going to make some people's Hair on the back there. That's right. So, <laughs> so, so basically, I'm like, okay, no consensus. I like
0: Skirmerhorn. It sounds more Dutch, and therefore, that is what we're going with. Yes. Be- well, <laughs> that makes sense because her heritage is Dutch. There you go. Her parents, Abraham and Helen. Her father was actually in the shipping business with his brother Peter. It was they owned a ship chandlery. Basically, that's a ship store. You know, the ships came in. They needed this stuff. And they got in touch with the the Chandlery and the Chandlery provided it. It's like the big boxes of our day only near the docks. By the time Caroline
1: Webster was um, born in 1830, the family had become bankers and landowners, Mm -hmm. um, substantial landowners. So you've got, you know, automagical wealth happening, basically. She's the youngest of eight children. She's really the family pet.
0: That really sets a tone for her life. She grew up like you
1: would think that a little lady would. I mean, there's nannies, there's servants, there's fine clothes, there's European trips, there's $450 million. (laughs) There you go. She went to school run by a French emigre and she was taught deportment and penmanship and needlework and dancing. But was she taught academics? No.
0: Not no, really. It wasn't necessary. And she is a, not the first generation of her family to be brought up in this prestige. Privilege. Yeah, privilege. That's actually the word I was looking for. Thank you. Her mother was also from an established New York family. The mother and the father had wealth and they brought their children up appropriately. Well, now,
1: they loved France. They actually had an apartment, well, you know, basically a big house, but it was an apartment (laughs) in France, um, and they weren't Anglophiles. They really were kind of irritated by the British way of life. the
0: English just were not their type at all.
1: Now, um, one of her sisters didn't marry until 31 years of age. Um, Some others, you know, 22, whatever, and she, at 25, was Mm. not pressured to get married. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, not pressured, but really, I think in the back of your mind, an establishment is what you need. It's
0: got to be the right family.
1: Yeah. And, and there was a quote that said that marriage to the youngest son of William B. Astor appeared to be acceptable to both the Astors and the Skirmerhorns, which does not have the hallmark of a love match.
0: Not at all, no.
1: I will tell you, everyone thought they looked so nice together. Mm-hmm. So oh tall, yes. so
0: dark. And they were both educated. They were both raised in the proper families. And they had the same social circle. Exactly. And that that's important. Can I just have one
1: word about the Astor family? You can have several. Okay, I'm not going to go through the genealogy. No. Because it's a little hard and everybody's named William or John and William, John, William and John. So here's the thing. There's a podcast called the Bowery Boys. And I need you to listen to episode 21. And you can listen to more episodes. Oh, yes. That because they are well established and fabulous. They are. They cover all of New York history. And so... This may actually kind of spark some interest in other points in which Mrs. Astor um, mm-hmm. lived and moved. Exactly. There's actually a podcast on Delmonico's, which we'll talk about later. So, anyway, listen to episode 21, and they've got a bit of the genealogy there right at the beginning of this Astor family. And they begat everybody.
0: Yeah. And so, and we'll also put a diagram. It's just really, for us, we can't get it down. We've, we've, just in casual conversation, we've tripped over it a bunch of times. There's just, it's just too, the names are too similar. It's not, and it's not important to Caroline's story. That's true. Now, I will, I do want
1: to tell you about Grandpa though. Oh, I love Grandpa. John Jacob Astor, the patriarch of the family, started out as a fur trader. Now, I want you to imagine the worst possible Daniel Boone impersonator. <laughs> and give him a whole bunch of money. I'm not even talking a nice, mild man like Paul Clampett. Oh, no. No, I'm talking about if Paul
0: Clampett spit all the time and cursed. It was rude. and, and Yeah, yeah and opposite, and he makes a wealth. He is what starts the family's wealth. So he's horribly vulgar
1: and repellent, and he would casually, he'd be at dinner, because you had to invite him, he'd be <laughs> at dinner, and he would wipe his hands not on the napkin, no. Which would be a proper, not on the tablecloth, which mm-hmm. would stink, but at least be better than what he did, which is he would turn to the lady beside him and wipe his hands, his greasy, dirty <laughs> hands, on her the sleeve of her dress. Isn't
0: uh, that lovely? And if she
1: didn't have sleeves on the sides of her dress. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't what? think they had shout back in those days. Yeah, most of these dresses aren't going to wash.
0: No, not well, not well at all. And
1: so he's not only eating with the wrong silver. If he picks up the fork at
0: all, he's yeah. burping, he's yelling down the table people but he's got a lot of money and so he's got a lot of power so a couple of generations go by
1: and luckily everyone calms down and they kind of polish the image of the asters up quite a bit thank goodness because you how could you not
0: yeah it's, it's all uphill yeah
1: that's um, what my husband and I say, is cuter than Don Knotts. It's like, that's not too hard to do.
0: That's, that's true. Poor Don Knotts. Okay, so anyway,
1: by the time we get down to Caroline marrying this family, the Astors, believes in the principle, like it's very British, of primogeniture, which means basically the older boy gets everything. Everything. And that keeps the fortune together, because, you know, think about generation after generation of nine kids or whatever, right. and
0: eventually you're left with little parcels of whatever. Right. So Yeah, it gets divided up, it's too thin, it doesn't have as much oomph.
1: So the key to Caroline Skirmerhorn's future husband is
0: the fact that he is the second son. Yep. He's, so he's, he's the spare. The spare. <laughs> really? And there's actually another son, that Henry, that isn't even talked about. But mm-hmm. the two that we really need to discuss are John Jacob Astor III, who is the firstborn. And then the secondborn is William Backhouse Astor Jr. So if you think about it, William,
1: our William, was the Prince Harry of his generation i mean you know he went to the office mm-hmm. because that's what he, was he expected had business to do. Yes. he did have business but he really wasn't relied upon he wasn't involved in the critical decisions he was de- definitely just in the wings in case something happened to the older brother and that's right. got to wear on a guy i think
0: no and his whole life was like this. yeah so so, yeah. so the
1: thing is um his parents thought that the, that marriage to a respectable person would fix him that's just a recipe for disaster <laughs> but so, so they were married. Obviously, an arranged marriage. There was no real sentiment between them.
0: No, although they exactly kept a good so. facade,
1: you know, for the first few years of their life. For the few about first about ten, they kept mm-hmm. up a good facade. I think that happened a lot in those times, yeah. especially in the social circle. It's- so, um, the two. Uh,
0: Caroline and William had five children, four of which were girls, and I think they were headed for the air, too. They came pretty quickly. They had all five of them in in ten years, and they finally got their son, and then Caroline shut off the baby maker. Well,
1: yeah, you'll notice. That's where that all stops. I have the boy, I'm done. I'm really not sure what she got out of this marriage deal, except for maybe having the title of Mrs., and she's the boss of her own
0: household. Actually, I think it's a score for her. I mean, that's what she was raised to be, and she got it. Exactly sure. what she was raised to be and exactly what she claimed to want. And she obviously will talk about what she does in her life, and she goes after what she wants. So this must have been what she wanted. Now, um, I will tell you, the skirmerhorns were very into, as we talked
1: about, um, culture, opera, style, the season. And honestly, the asters at this point, they loved money. And they and money and money, and, and then there
0: was that they love money, oh yeah,
1: some money, they liked money is what they liked, so really separate spheres started to become the norm i mean mm-hmm. they they diverged completely. It was her job to manage the servants, manage the
0: house, deal with all the social obligations, and honestly, they were just quiet years of yeah, there was a, about, about twenty years where she was just quietly, i don't want to say a, a homemaker because she was certainly. Not our impression of a homemaker, but she just made house. She raised the children and she did all that, those things that you just said. The two brothers
1: bought houses, understated, but large, understated, very plain in appearance, mm-hmm. um, next to each other on 34th Street and they shared a garden together. Although the brothers really hated each other. Yeah, they never got along. The sisters-in-law well. were, were very tolerant mm-hmm. to each other. Um, the two families had, you know, regular entertainments there and they were all Old New York kind of entertainments. They were always the same and the same lovely people with the same quiet upbringing and blah, blah, blah. It was never known
0: for brilliance or for no, if the, intellectual if the dinners were the, If the dinners were similar to the last dinner that was similar to the one before that, then it was a success. William began to have a serious alcohol problem, and it got to the point... <laughs> Way to put it delicately.
1: Yeah, yeah. It got to the point where Caroline would enlist the help of his friends to keep him at the club longer, so he wouldn't come home and embarrass her. Because mm-hmm, he's
0: going to make a big scene, so yeah. she doesn't want and that. And yell
1: and stuff, and who who needs that? And so it became this conspiracy of keep him away from the house, and that went on for a very long time, in fact. Now, Mrs. Astor's first real new money versus old money challenge was. Challenge. There was a man.
0: New money. The old money. It really kind of Yeah, I know.
1: It like, is. It's like the smackdown. That would make a great reality show.
0: <laughs> I think it is a reality show. I think show. it is. No. Isn't it called Desperate Housewives it's, of Wherever? It's uh, Isn't yeah, that all new it's money? It's not desperate. It's, um... Oh. The Real Housewives, oh. the Real Housewives of Insert City here. Are you sure it's not Desperate? Because it seems I'm desperate. I'm sure the Desperate one is on um, Sunday nights on a big network. Real Housewives are on Bravo. A.T. Stewart was a
1: retailer in luxury goods, and he bought a house cat a corner across the street and tore it down and put up what seemed to old New York to be goopy, sloppy, showy W.T. type of house. <laughs> Although we'll put up a picture, I think it looks beautiful. Which says, I know it
0: does. What about me? Yeah, I know. it is. It's a beautiful house, but it's not understated. It's not classic. No. By any stretch of the imagination. And
1: I will tell you, um, Mrs. Astor acted like he and his wife did not exist, even though this man had $80 million. Yeah. And it was as if, for seven years, that neighbor had a see-through house. (laughs) She didn't see it. And his wife, Cornelia, um, was the daughter of a ship's chandler. Sound familiar? So one generation, newer money, just not nope. good enough. you got you got to pretend that didn't happen. That's right. So she excluded him hard from everything, and she actually said, just because I buy my carpets from him, there's
0: no reason for me to invite him to my house to walk on them. That's right. Listen <laughs> <laughs> to Yeah, well, that sets a tone for her dislike of people who were in trade I know, people, for the rest of her life. People in Mrs. Astor's circle were irritated at A.T. Stewart because they'd go visit him on business, and he
1: wanted them to take a tour of the store, and they're just like, ah. He wanted to sit at his desk and talk about about how awesome his numbers were! Or uh-huh. look at this new arrival from so and so. They're just like ew, no. ew.
0: <laughs> no, let me Can just, you just sign this? And, oh, I have many calls I need to place. <laughs> I know so. Yeah, poor old boy. See, now we would admire him as a... Building his business, and
1: yeah, he'd be awesome. I'd like to hang with him. So we've reached the year, the year of 1872. So Mrs. Astor is 42. She has got some daughters that are of debutante type age. She needs to marry him off, is what happens. She does, but Mr. Astor, her husband, has... Bought um, a house in upstate New York. He has... Ferncliffe. Again, he we're Ferncliffe. going back
0: to the naming of the houses. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> and he has a yacht um, named the Ambassadress
0: that actually people started to call the Floating Harem. Nice. So you, yeah. But it was that. the largest yacht in the world, and th- yeah. we have a picture of it. There's a very famous painting of it, actually. So he's gone off to
1: Florida every winter. He's basically mm-hmm. MIA, which kind of suits everyone just fine, because at this point, he's just troublesome. And, and when asked about it in public, Mrs. Astor would always say, oh, the sea air is so good for my husband's health. <laughs> I'm no chair. sailor. I've never set foot on the boat. Yeah, although really, she it's was. funny because she was outed because in Newport, the young ladies sought after her to chaperone them on the young men's yachts because Missus Astor was the only one that could stand <laughs> the up and down of the smaller yachts and uh-huh. wouldn't get sick. So she was
0: a way better sailor yeah, than the, everyone you know, else. And I grew up, you know, I grew up in that area and I grew up sailing and I've sailed in you know Narragansett Bay area before and there can be some things nor'easters that pop up and it's pretty choppy so she had no problem
1: so mrs astor looked around and she kind of felt that society was contaminated well and if you think about it all of the people from you know ohio and washington dc and they got some money <laughs> oh and gosh, then perhaps kansas <laughs> ew. and then they um they got some money and where did they all went ahead to new york city of because course. that's where where it was but all these riffraffs coming and with new ideas and new cultures, and they didn't know our ways, and she was really disturbed.
0: They are not our type, dear. No, not at all.
1: Now, this is an era that Mark Twain called the Gilded Age, and what that means is, um, think about what a golden age is, a golden age of intellectual blossoming, a golden age of economics, a golden age of cultural heritage, or whatever, but this is not, in fact, golden. This is only gilded. Gilded meaning gold paint has been applied to crap basically (laughs) and so mark twain you know obviously that's not complimentary A gilded age we think it's fancy i know it it sounds very fancy but it's not no mm -mm. it really means um a lot of glitter on the surface with not a whole lot of substance to it which is really kind of what happened so um right about now she meets her partner in crime i should say (sighs) his name's ward McAllister. we're going to talk about him a little bit after the break we're just introducing him now um, remember Dr. Howe from Helen
0: Keller, who taught Laura Bridgman? Okay, every time you say Dr. Howe, I always think of Dewey Cheatham and Howe. Okay, go on.
1: From Dickens? Just,
0: no. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> no, from the Three Stooges. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and our levels have been established. <laughs> okay.
0: okay. Anyway. It sounds so, like a Dickens. Okay, whatever. Enter Samuel okay, anyway, Lord McAllister. Lord McAllister
1: <laughs> was Dr. Howe's wife's cousin. I'm, this is all I was saying. Is there's a six degrees of separation thing? Long, you know, long ago. Like, yes, f- fifteen minutes ago. That's what I was trying it. to say. <laughs> okay, so, so some say that Ward McAllister was the eminence grease, which basically means um, the man that did all the dirty work. Right. And some say he's a trained monkey. So we'll <laughs> explore that relationship right after the break. Oh,
0: New York City is being overrun by new money social climbers, our girl Caroline, who actually is called Lena. We don't like to call her that because we're just so formal here at the History Chicks. But since she was a child, she was called Lena. That was her nickname. So, Lena, Caroline, okay, I can't call her Lena. She can't have her New York society run over by these newcomers, these upstarts. They don't know our ways. And plus she has to find her daughters a husband. So enter Samuel Ward McAllister. Now this gentleman is, um, he came from a money family in the South. He's a lawyer and, uh, his family was a judicial heritage. He is actually married, but we don't really hear too much about his wife, Sarah. She's the,
1: she's the real money.
0: Yeah, she's, mm-hmm. she's his backer. But you don't hear a whole heck of a lot about her. Ward has traveled all over Europe, and he has studied nobility. He has studied their mannerisms, their discussions, their talk. He is obsessed by society and wants to infiltrate the New York society, and he's successful. Because he is, as Beckett has so cleverly put to me in the past, super snob. 3,000.
1: He is. He is. The thing is, he got exposed to this kind of society in the 1850s. And then when he shows up 20 years later, he has nostalgia for the good old days when everybody knew who was who and everybody knew what was what. And it's like nostalgia for the 1950s now. Right.
0: You know, oh, he totally glossed it over. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, he, he saw it the way that he wanted it, and he saw an entree into society through several. Actually, he hung with several people in Caroline's world. I
1: think Mrs. Astor won for the main, well, there were two there main reasons. A reasons yeah. She had, you know, She had the right temperament or whatever, but another thing is she had an absent husband mm-hmm. because Mamie Fish's husband, Stuyvesant Fish, hated Warwick Allister. He mm-hmm. thought he was a little toady dirtbag-like right. guy. <laughs> and so, you know, it helped a lot that Mr. Astor was just, Gone.
0: And Caroline needed an escort. Yeah. Yeah. So he, Ward was more than happy to provide his, it's I don't want to say services, because it really wasn't that type of room. Oh no, no, so it's not romantic. It was at all. all business.
1: So, um, he was a clever, Clever outsider, but not that much of an outsider. He's been going to Newport, in fact, since mm-hmm. the 1850s. He used to rent sheep to give his party's atmosphere, which is like, bleh. <laughs> sheep? And he spent Wait, him- did you just say meant sheep? He would rent, like, washed and brushed sheep to wander about his oh, oh, area. I see. Yeah, so anyway, he's it's not charming. and He must have seen that in a painting. Yes, yeah. and he spent an inordinate amount of time studying sauces and things like that. His he's mind sauce for- king. Yeah, his mind for detail is it's kind of sick really. But, well, it's a thing. I mean, we, we all have our things. Yes. In London, there's an assembly called all Max, and any reader of Regency romance novels will know what Allmax is. It was run, basically, by three women who would determine if debutantes and their families were respectable enough to receive tickets to these balls. That was the marriage market. It couldn't be more clear.
0: Right. That, that was Their job mm-hmm. was
1: to prevent... Something nasty being fished up off the bottom of the ocean <laughs> to be presented to these young girls.
0: Well, that solves works. a problem for our friend Caroline. He wanted to create that in America. Mm-hmm. And so. And Caroline wanted to have an exclusive group of people that she not only socialized with, but within which her daughters could marry and, and create new generations of privileged society, well bred bulls.
1: So the patriarchs were born. This is uh, still 1872, and what she said was, what was needed was for men of wealth and good family to take more seriously the responsibilities of their social position. And so 25 prominent men were chosen by Ward McAllister and a committee of two others because he had that all-max model in his mm-hmm. mind, and he wanted, you know.
0: And, of course, and you know, two other men. not yeah, It was not, not Caroline,
1: no. Well, and they talked about that. Mm-hmm. And they talked about that, and men have this distressing tendency at this time to give people the benefit of the doubt and invite them places. <laughs> where the women wouldn't want to receive them. And so they thought that if, that the only people that could hold rich men in check were other rich men mm-hmm. and the approbation of other rich men. So they thought it better just be the men running it. They thought that would be a better outcome. Right. And okay. it was manipulation though. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it was like,
0: you really think you're the boss? Yeah. No, we're no, really no, no, boss. no, Yeah. I, Caroline's finger is all over the list. Absolutely. So they were allowed to invite four ladies and five men to each of these balls, which always happened in the winter. Right. That's the New York Society season is the winter. In the summer, they went to Newport. This whole group of people blocked back and forth. But the New York Society season is winter. So they had the balls in the winter. At Delmonico's. At Delmonico's.
1: And interestingly enough, one of the patriarchs, Archibald Gracie, actually started the fad for Delmonicos before the Patriarchs by having debutante balls there. Mm -hmm. That was the respectable place to bring your
0: daughters out. So it would make sense that that would be the respectable place to hold the Patriarch balls.
1: That's right. So the purpose of this whole strategy is that it was designed to bring an end to the Social Republic that they thought was... Horrible! This whole right. free for all, and to bring an aristocratic social order. You know, the British have a a social order, and it's called the peerage, and right. everybody knew where everyone stands. Mm-hmm. In it. And we'll
0: talk about peerage when we discuss when we discuss more about the Gilded Age Arises, But yes,
1: they actually did a a junior version called the family circle dancing class. And it was basically just the junior patriarchs. All the children of the patriarchs Mm -hmm. and friends went to this. And and Ward spent many mornings that he complained of, but I think he secretly loved receiving crying mamas weeping at him about they didn't get an invitation. Right. (laughs) And he would say things like, I'm only the servant, madam. I will do my best. I (sighs) I am not the decision maker. I serve those who decide. Whatever smarmy. How do you cry to this guy without... Mm-hmm. Like, wanting to throttle him. He had this vision of himself as a uh, creator of men or whatever. And I think a lot of people saw him basically
0: as a capering little monkey with yes. a hat on by the side of <laughs> Mrs. Astor. So, yeah. And yet they're begging for invitations. So well, that he the, he's yeah. the gateway. Well, it, I mean, it makes sense to have these, these junior balls because then those kids grow up together. And yeah. who better to marry mm-hmm. than your best friend since junior ball days? So we've yes. seen this before, haven't we? Yes, we have. Do you believe we saw it at Versailles Yes, with Marie Antoinette? What you do is you make a lot of complicated rules. Mm-hmm. You
1: make plebeian things honors. Mm-hmm. Like the honor of going in a room with the same people that were at the ball last time and seeing the same people and dancing the exact same dance again. <laughs> That's such an honor. <laughs> and you make the numbers really small and people will fight for it. Mm-hmm. It's very psychologically clever. Yes. Oh, it sure is. Now, here's how a typical ball would go. At 10 p.m., this is at the beginning now, they got a little later, later in the decades, but at 10 p.m., the evening began, there were always two orchestras uh, at Mrs. Astor's and the Patriarch's Balls, so that there was never a uh, break time where the orchestra Mm -hmm. had to take a a lunch break or whatever.
0: Because you always need music to listen to, because otherwise you'd have to talk
1: to each other. Imagine! And yeah, the conversation was not very intellectually stimulating. So you began with the waltzes, which a generation ago had been scandalous, by the way. Okay, so they would start with a quadrille after that, called, and the you know, the favorite was called the lancer which is basically in those high school movies at prom where everybody gets in the middle of the clapping circle of people mm. you know and everybody all the couples get their chance to rock out right that's kind of what the lancer was it, you know just to put it mildly
0: without the grinding oh yeah certainly
1: and <laughs> 11 p.m you have ices and kind of light snacks were set out and then at 12:30 there was supper and this was a grand affair and sometimes it was a plated dinner and other times it was a buffet. Mm-hmm. But both times there was a great emphasis on expressing the knowledge that you had a bunch of people working on this food because it was all very elaborate. It,
0: very elaborate.
1: After supper, which we'll talk about the menu in a minute, there was a dance called the German or the German cotillion, mm-hmm. not capitalized, just the German. And it was 50 to 100 couples and a ritualized dance that was kind of like a square dance. There was a collar. mm mm-hmm. And <laughs> Kind of like a square dance, and yet, no, not really. No, not really. Any number of things could appear in the German, and and if you had a skilled MC, um, you could end up, I mean, there were things where every lady would have like a handful of glittery dust, and mm-hmm. at a certain moment, she would let it go in the air, or there were fans given to people, and you would tap your partner. So kind of like watching Rocky Horror. <laughs> uh, uh, interesting i don't know but there were times that favors were given golden bracelets for the ladies yeah they're not throwing those in the air no no um but, but that's it was, a nice favor to bring home the whole dance sounds very interesting i looked it up and i found some videos of some recreations of several of the dances. Now, I found a recreation of one dance called the Fan Dance. Now, this could get out of control if you got the wrong person, so it was important to select the
0: correct MC, Mm -hmm. so no kookiness. Because I I would imagine that if they got kooky, that MC would not be asked to return.
1: Yes. So, in association
0: with Mrs. Astor's, often mentioned the number 400. So where did the 400 come from? There is a couple versions out there. One says that Ward had said that that is how many people will fit into Mrs. Astor's ballroom, and that is not correct. Um, it came from, actually it did come from Ward, and he did say there's only about 400 people that are comfortable in a ballroom. We said this comment off the cuff, and the number is actually very close to 400, so the man knows his sauces, and he knows his numbers of people, because he he pinned it. It was about 400 people. It was in the 300s, but...
1: My favorite part about that quote is that he said, they're either not at ease in a ballroom, or else make other people not at ease.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm fairly certain I would make other people not at (laughs) ease in a
1: ballroom. (laughs) No, we are going to post this menu from one of Mrs. Astor's balls it's all in french of course this okay. is um, a buffet there's hot service and cold service and there is one in particular called the caille, which sounds so nice until you read what it is and what is it beckett well basically they've taken thousands of little quails and roasted them just like you would roast a chicken you know the little roasted chicken Sealed them in aspic, and then done clever things to their heads where they removed the eyeballs and replaced them with egg white, and then they reattach the heads, and then they decorate the body <laughs> as if it still had feathers. Okay, I don't want that much fussing with my food. It's, and it's all that fussy. That's the funny thing. And there's easily seven kinds of desserts here. Any amount of work that went into something just to show that you had a guy and a team that could make this kind of stuff, it, yeah. it's amazing. That, all the touching of my food. Well, and <laughs> there is a serious lack of vegetables, um, and which is interesting because there's um, things like potatoes, of course, you know, that, were, that was very common, but... <laughs> And hominy, But other than um, just a very few vegetables, um, raw vegetables were thought to be terrible for the digestion, except for celery, which was seen, which is very raw on your digestion. Oh, yeah. But it was it was seen as, um, you know, high class. But vegetables were rare vegetables is what they called them. Were not seen as very healthy for you. No, that's something. Isn't that that's funny?
0: As a low carber, I'm thinking you're not doing too much of this.
1: As a low carb, I'd be great. But meat, yeah. meat,
0: meat. I just have to avoid the dessert, of course. A little pâté. Yeah. Sa- well, well, salad oriental, we don't really know what that is. It could be anything. anything.
1: But yeah, I have a, um, I've translated what I can of all this, and so you'll have to see. And even cooler, the New York Public Library has received a donation very recently of 25,000 vintage menus from restaurants.
0: This is so cool. We will totally put this link on, on the website. And, and they need your help. You, so you need to go. We have done our time. <laughs> now mm-hmm. you go do yours. They need people to transcribe, not translate. So you don't
1: have to know any foreign languages or anything. You just know, have to know how to read, really. They've scanned all their menus, and they're putting them up and you just click and translate for them and they are aiming to create transcribe transcribe sorry they um are aiming to create a database of vintage menus they're all from around this time period, and they've got prices on them too mm-hmm. it's very it is interesting a, culturally it's a very it's very interesting to read it's through the menus. And if you don't even feel like doing it, just go look at it. It's so neat to have come across that. And it's so recent, and lots of people are starting to jump on the bandwagon. If you'd like to be a part of history in that way, we will give you the link to that.
0: Do it.
1: It's quite awesome. There's also another re- um, another recipe site I found called VintageRecipes.net. And so if you want to make some of these things, maybe not the quails. No. It's a little out oh, of control. Oh, no. But, you know, there's salmon with sauces and, you know, meat with sauces, and how do you make petit fours and all that kind of thing. So... There's somewhat reasonable things on that that (laughs) website (laughs) if you have some time and... Like to mess around in the kitchen. So that's really good.
0: We won't be giving you one of those blogs with us making it, however.
1: No, I, I think that would be a bad plan. No. <laughs> no. A quick word about clothes.
0: A quick word. You want us to have a quick word about clothes.
1: No, we'll cover the more okay. clothes.
0: We'll
1: cover more clothes in the next podcast. But Charles Worth was the man to be seen in.
0: Yes, he was designing on both sides of the pond. He had his clothes were being seen and that's what you wore to one of these balls
1: now back in the olden days when the knickerbockers and the old new yorkers ran things one would receive your worth dresses And they would come in a big box with, it's hard to explain, almost like seatbelt material crisscrossing inside of the box Mm -hmm. with the dress resting on it. It was like a shock absorber, so it wouldn't crush the flowers or the ruffles or anything. And immediately you had to shell out a 50% tax on top of what you paid. Now, the upper end of this dress was $60,000 that you have paid. So basically, $90,000 for this dress. Could be on the (laughs) upper end. The lower ones were $16,000. So that's That's some kind of permissive papa or husband to be shelling out this money but i guess if you have 450
0: million dollars and you wear different dresses oh yes oh yes you they were not yeah, yeah they were meant
1: to be worn a couple times and then set aside mm-hmm. perhaps saved to be made over for a daughter but you wouldn't wear the same dress again no i think it's so funny that in these days when they're eating four thousand calories a day <laughs> that they are cranking their waist so hard so tight
0: yeah well they're just taking all the stuff that's in the belly and they're pushing it down well thank goodness for the bustles <laughs> i guess
1: <laughs> if, well back um back in the early period you would set aside your dress for a season so it wouldn't mm-hmm. be too new or right. too trendy or whatever but by the time the 1880s came around everyone's like whatever like, i got a new worth dress let's haul let's, it out yeah and <laughs> right so, out of the crate yeah let's talk about houses just for a bit once again something else that will appear next time newport for generations of skrmerhorns in particular, um, was the summer escape. Mm-hmm. It was cooler there. The, the breezes were more salubrious, and there was sea bathing, which we'll have to talk about next time, too, which is
0: comedy. Uh, like, yeah. let's <laughs>
1: wear 50 pounds of clothes in- and get them wet. Into the water,
0: yeah. yeah. Into the ocean. It's not even like stepping into a pool. I mean, and I have to tell you, I lived right there. And it is, thank goodness,
1: because I was freezing the whole time. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> if you had 50 pounds of clothes on, it was tolerable, because I couldn't stand it. Now, um, <laughs> Mrs. Astor's Beechwood which is her house, Mm -hmm. you can still see it, but up until recently, it was an awesome living history museum. Mm -hmm. If you came in the wintertime, which was not the season for Beachwood, if you came in the wintertime, the actors who played all the parts would act like they were interviewing you to be part of the staff, like you were an applicant. And they would show you the servants' quarters and the kitchen. And if you came in the summer, they would greet you as an honored guest of Mrs. Astor, and that's how the play would play out. Now, unfortunately for living history, someone has bought it to live in. For the knockdown price of ten point six million dollars. No. Yeah,
0: no, no. Which for Newport is chump change. Yeah, I think. Oh, I guess I. I don't know. I haven't bought a mansion in Newport. I'm just saying. I think yes, I think the price was very reasonable. I mean, it
1: is his um, economy. So you cannot tour yeah. it anymore. Um, that's a real. That's a real loss because that it was a is. great tour. But I will tell you, as a substitute, the elms, go to the elms and call ahead, call ahead and get the servants tour. I can't remember. The, I think they call it back, the backstairs tour, mm-hmm. but take it first. Take the backstairs tour first. Reserve ahead of time and you get to go through the kitchen. You get to see the pastry chef who was just in the middle of the basement, all these turning hallways, a whole marble room all to his very own. He was probably completely crazy. <laughs> cold, and so he was really of secluded from the ovens and everything. It's amazing. You get to see all the stairs the ladies had to go up. The servants had to go up hundreds of stairs just to get to bed. Well, maybe that's how they wor- worked off those
0: well, 4,000 calories. I, I would meals. say you
1: can eat 4,000 calories yes. if you're working hard like this. If you do the coal trucks, you can see the coal trucks where the guy would go to the fill the coal trucks and push them by hand all the way down these train tracks into the house. Crazy. It's so cool to see that. And then take the
0: regular tour and you'll appreciate it far mm-hmm. more. And we will link you. There is a web- Website, all the tourable mansions of Newport, there is a an organized website. So if you can't get to Newport, which a lot of us can't, you can at least do things online. And I did find another website that has, which I will link you to, which has the floor plans of the Astor's house and several. It's Gilded Age architecture is, is this guy's passion, and it's a pretty cool website to peruse. And for this time period, he's he. this is his thing, and he... Does it very well on this site, so I'll link you to that.
1: Alongside all of the Delmonico's activities and the private house parties that were going on with the 400 was a parallel society called the Bouncers. Well, they didn't call themselves the Bouncers. No. (laughs) The 400 called them the Bouncers or their Aravistes. Aravistes. Speaking French. Basically, you know, the new people. And they would have, they would have dances too, and it wasn't actually so exclusive because the 400 would be invited and attend these Mm -hmm. balls but the reverse was not true. No, it was not. Until the turning point started to happen when the bouncers started to gain a little ascendancy. You know, we've had our 11 years of old money bliss Mm -hmm. and now the ultimate bouncer has raised her head
0: for combat. And that would be Alva Vanderbilt. Now, the Vanderbilts are pretty wealthy people at this time but they are new money and Caroline wants nothing to do with them. Now, a lot of what you read Says that she snubbed the Vanderbilts and she snubbed Alva. One of the books that we will recommend. Has a picture on the cover of Alva standing right next to Caroline at a social event. So they did. They did go to the same. They weren't besties by any stretch. No, of the and besties. you know um, the old
1: story, which is largely true, but has been really amped up by the press. I think the famous story is that social climber Alva built a new French style chateau on Fifth Avenue, and everyone was gaga to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. Poor At Stewart was just ahead of his time, wasn't it's he? Right. <laughs> so everyone was so interested in what it was going to look like. All these interestingly. Colored boxes were going in, and all these statues were being carried in. Exterior is very opulent; it's yeah. very French chateau. And so, Mrs. Astor plans a great ball to open the house, and Carrie Astor and her little friends. Carrie is the the uh, fourth daughter, the youngest daughter of Mrs. Astor. Carrie and her friends have been practicing a little dance to perform for everyone, and they've gotten someone to make these electric star headpieces, and they light up. This is amazing. It's 1883, so, but, and we've but, got electric lights on our head. Isn't that interesting? That is cool. That and, we dance with. And
0: later, after, after this period that some of the gowns had equally fascinating electric pyrotechnics that went on in the gowns. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So she's practicing
1: this little dance and Mrs. Vanderbilt puts on this sorrowful Oh, so sorry. Um, I'm so sorry, Miss Astor. I cannot invite you without your parents and your mother, who is my social superior, has not yet recognized me, so I cannot invite your family.
0: And this is going back to the calling card thing. Yeah, it's this not is yeah. calling cards. This is part of the complex rules that Caroline helped establish. And her own rules are biting her in the fanny. Because yeah. she has to, as Becca just said, as a social superior to Alva, she has to come in and leave her calling card at Alva's house and, and Acknowledge her presence, which has not yet happened, which is what Alva is waiting for.
1: And, you know, how how could you have your, your poor little daughter miss? It's the event of the decade. Oh, yeah. every Everyone's going. Yeah, everyone's going. And so uh, Mrs. Astor did call. That is a historical fact. But, you know, some of the Astors had been at Alva Vanderbilt's wedding. Mm-hmm. It's, she wasn't snubbed the same way that the Stuarts had been snubbed. They'd mm-hmm. been guests at Patriarch's Balls, mm-hmm. too, um, repeatedly. Mrs. Astor was often in the same room. Now, that doesn't mean that they Talked. spoke, really. Yeah. But they were on the same committee together to build the pedestal for the Statue of Liberty, which was pretty cool.
0: Very important.
1: Okay, so, after this event happened, this could be a face-saving comment, but Mrs. Astor says, we have no right to exclude those. The growth of this most great country has brought forward provided they are not vulgar. In speech and appearance, the time has come for the Vanderbilts. Hmm, yeah. That sounds like some face-saving
0: Aww. to me, but... A little backpedaling, and I love the way that she leaves in a loophole provided they aren't yeah. vulgar. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who decides that? That sounds a little subjective, but oh, uh, okay. And then the new money strikes another blow because two years later from that, the
1: old Academy of Music, there are boxes to be seen at the opera. There's a finite amount of boxes. Mm-hmm. And just and like- the opera is a big part of their society. That's yeah. where they went before they went to the patriarch balls. And that's why the dances always started so late. One must appear at the opera. Poor opera singers, though. I don't think anyone paid one bit of attention. They were too busy looking at all the other boxes. I know. And that's where you were to show off your wealth. I mean, there's no sense having these fancy dresses if no one sees them. Mm-hmm. And so...
0: Like the fancy dresses that we're wearing right now. I Men's have pearls on my shirts. shirt. and I, I see that. That's really Okay,
1: critical. well, mm-hmm. that's as far as I go. <laughs> but, um... At the opera, just like land, they're not making any more of the boxes. They are a finite number of boxes in this old Academy of Music, and new money just said, just sidestepped. Okay, they built a new opera house. Ta-da! They built a new opera house with 90 boxes, which ended up being way too many, and they took the third tier down, because it was embarrassing there was empty, you know, third tier. That's We can't have that. So they actually ended up deconstructing the top (laughs) tier. So they had 60, (laughs) which was more than enough, Mm -hmm. but that was so glittering with wealth and just money from every corridor. They started to call that the diamond horseshoe. The two rows of, the two tiers of boxes were the diamond Diamond horseshoe. Yeah, so there's finally room for everyone. So thanks, new money. Thanks for making that happen. Yeah, appreciate that. (laughs) And uh, all these things used to become the property of some sad little reporter that was pushed to the side. Society reporter, whatever, you know. But this is the era in which this society reporter became FAMU. This society
0: reporter... They went all out and they reported on the events. And You can, we'll link you to uh, at least one of them. You can find the rest of New York Times reports of these, of Patriarch Balls. Yeah, descriptions of clothes and the food and who was dancing with who and are there European nobility
1: present? Yes. Because there, there were because people's daughters started marrying British
0: nobility. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk about that at the next podcast. And but. it wasn't in the, at the Patriarch's Balls, it wasn't just the 25 plus their nine invited guests. There was visiting dignitaries could come, um, debutantes from other s- towns, cities mm-hmm. who were being received in New York. They could come.
1: So the upper classes began to get wise and they fed information strategically to the press. And this helped the paper because the middle class was consumed with copying the details of these balls for themselves. Uh, how fast were there knockoffs of the Duchess of Cambridge?
0: Yes, this dress from Issa. That's right. Right. I mean, within hours. Yeah. And I have to say, can I just take an aside because we like to talk about fashion? How thrilled I am that she wore sleeves. I know it was proper for Westminster Abbey to have sleeves on your, on your dress. But now because Catherine wore sleeves, sleeves will be coming back because there are a lot of brides out there who really should not be wearing strapless gowns. There you go. So I, I for one, am saying thank
1: you. Thank you, Catherine. Well, the advertisers love this, too, because they got to the jewelers, the florists, mm-hmm. the decorators. Society coverage began as respectful, even toadying, kind of. But soon there was a man named Mr. Mann. ha! <laughs> I swear that's his name. Okay, oh, I believe you. And he had a column called The Saunterer, and he started to kind of expose what he called the foolishness. He um, wanted to out the expenditures.
0: He okay. found the tackiness. He was like the Paris Hilton of his time, yes? You know that guy?
1: Yeah. I yeah. think it is, like Perez Hilton. Yeah.
0: Yes. The blogger. But, except for he
1: had a blackmailing streak in him, and I can't <laughs> speak to Perez Hilton. I don't know if he's got this in him, but Mr. Man used to write these scandalous articles and show up at the Gentleman's Club waving it and saying, I would love to publish this unless there's some... And he would hold out his other hand silently. Yes. And he was not averse to publishing things. If people didn't pay, well, it's, it's
0: blackmail, pure and
1: simple. And he would say things wantonly for no money, Call like, Mrs. Bradley Martin was so ablaze with diamonds from head to foot that she looked like a dumpy old
0: lighthouse. I and mean, then she looked... In the mirror, and she didn't feel the Dunfield Playhouse. But maybe she did after she read that in the paper. I know, she started to doubt herself.
1: So, um, Mrs. Auster, he described as a vain and jealous old lady. Um, So, 1890. 1890- Old Ward McAllister, in oh. bed with such people as Mr. Man, not
0: literally, but you know, he was feeding them details because he was an insider. Mm-hmm. He made a big mistake. Big mistake. He writes a tell-all, and it's called Society As I Have Found It, and it is actually online, and we will link you to it.
1: Yeah, and name no names, really. Mm-hmm. No. Although you knew who was who. It was
0: pretty obvious.
1: It seemed very smarmy and gossipy and not flattering to the people, but very flattering to himself.
0: Of course. And if these are the same people that he has put in his clique. So the clique is turning on him. Well,
1: and one patriarch said, oh, poor McAllister,
0: what a pity it is he wrote a book. <laughs> and just
1: the cap on the thing, he was, you know, he was in the papers too much already for the old guard to tolerate. And he used to send updates to the newspapers from Newport, which is the retreat. You know, you know, <laughs> come on. It's our sanctuary. And then he became suspected of taking bribes for invitations to the patriarchs and the family dancing group. People couldn't stand it. He's kind of tossed
0: on his. Yeah, he had
1: no suspicion oh. that he was making this continental laughingstock of himself with this
0: book. Mm-hmm. He thought it was just a wonderful. Yeah, he thought it was. Yeah, in his head, this was brilliant and he lost his brother.
1: So Mrs. Astor largely just allowed him to be cast off, really. She supported him for, you know, maybe a couple more balls, but the attendance really dropped off, and she let him fade away. So ultimately, it was she in that relationship
0: that had the power. He was her servant. Right. Yeah. It it was questionable before, but now it's pretty obvious.
1: (laughs) She replaced him with someone that they called the fun maker. Harry Lair, which is, he is like a dirty character. I'm telling you what. He married a girl just for her money. He pretended to be in love with her and the day of their wedding said, I hate women. I hate all women. And I especially hate you. Nice. I'm like, Merry Christmas. And so she stayed in a marriage with him for 28 years rather than get divorced. But (sighs) luckily it ends well for her. She marries titled British nobility. Uh So ultimately, but I felt very sorry for her for 28 years. That's a long time. So I'm prejudiced against the fun maker. He might be the fun maker, but he is also the object maker for his poor wife. I don't like that. Nope. So another milestone appears very soon. So after the break, we will tell you about the birth of the Mrs. Astor.
0: À nous vaches, coque cheval, jusqu'à la peau d'un violon,
1: comme un chanteur,
0: un seul oiseau ce agir avec sa femme, couple trempé dans son printemps. Lors de l'herbe, le plomb du ciel s'éparil par les flammes plumes de la santé, de la rosée. And welcome back. Let's talk about the Mrs. Astor. She's called the Mrs. Astor, but why? According to the rules of primogenitor, she should not be the Mrs. Astor. That should be her nephew's wife, who is living next door to her in New York. But she wants the title, so she takes it william her nephew instructs the
1: post office in newport to anything that comes from mrs astor direct to my wife well the post ministry in newport knowing full well what side his bread is buttered mm-hmm. on continues to deliver the mrs astor mail to caroline astor which is really infuriating
0: that william the nephews Family.
1: And the press inflames this to the point where it embarrasses William Waldorf faster. Mm-hmm. It, it makes him so furious because society is not going along with his wishes and is sticking to his aunt. And his aunt rubs him the wrong way anyway. Oh, the families have never been close. No. we talked about that. And so, you know, this, not just the name thing, but just basically the whole of society irritates the crap out of him. And he pulls up stakes and goes to England.
0: Which is a fine place to go. Because Mrs. Astor does not approve,
1: and of she England. did, yeah, and so she's not <laughs> so, going to be there, and he's no. getting away from her. And you know, he actually he, fares
0: very well yeah, in England.
1: He um, ended up buying himself, through effort and money, several titles. The highest of which was Viscount Astor. And in a six degrees of cool separation thing, he bought and restored Hever Castle, which is Anne Boleyn's birthplace. Cool. Anne Boleyn, the second wife of the famous, infamous Henry VIII, who we are not talking about this week.
0: No. No. But we no. are, they're on the list, so, you know, you can keep telling us to talk about him, and we will someday.
1: <laughs> so, so here he is in England, and, um, you know, with no plans to come
0: back, so what does he do to his aunt? He rips down his house and builds a hotel next to her mansion. Well, this is not faring well for her. She She's looking at the back of his hotel. There's no windows. We've got a picture we'll have to show you.
1: (laughs) She doesn't even get to look at the people coming in and out or the fanciness. No, she's got a blank wall. It's the blank wall. The garden, which now is full of shadow and probably everything's dead. Dead. In her house. <laughs> right. And so she and her son construct this plan. Well, we're going to make a livery stable so everything stinks.
0: <laughs> Won't your guests like that at yeah. the Waldorf?
1: And, and so her son convinces her, let's go ahead and I've got this lovely house we're constructing up the street. Let's, mm-hmm. let's all move there and get away from this, what she called a glorified tavern. There's a glorified <laughs> tavern next door, she'd say.
0: <laughs> It's Which is nice. hilarious. Very nice. It's like
1: the most fancy,
0: glorified, well-thought-of well yeah.
1: hotel, you know.
0: It's the Waldorf. So, what else? Now, the Bowery Boys obviously go into greater detail about this on their podcast, about the history of the Waldorf Astoria. Yeah. But basically, uh, at this point, her son... And Caroline ripped down her mansion and built the Astoria right next door. Yep. And in
1: between, there is a lovely place to show your wealth and for the husbands to parade their wealth upon the necks and earrings of their wives mm-hmm. called Peacock Alley. Which reminds me of the Hall of Mirrors because mm-hmm. I think that was constructed so that people would be able to parade and show off their things to mm-hmm. everyone. And so Peacock Alley was kind of the same thing. Very same yeah. thing. Um, and so Mrs. Astor, down at her new digs, which she shares with her son, it's a completely separate house, except at the back they share a ballroom, mm-hmm. which is interesting. That's Two- actually
0: really good living arrangements. I would like to live with my mother-in-law that way. Yeah. Sharing a ballroom. Sharing a ballroom. And so
1: Mrs. Astor, at this point, started to model herself. She's 61, and it's completely obvious to me from this point in history that she was modeling herself after Queen Victoria. hmm she had a persona of a benevolent monarch. Her livery of her servants was modeled after Windsor Castle's livery. She had crests put on her, all her linens. The women were required to wear tiaras in her ballroom. Okay, now I want to go. Yeah. I would love to be required to wear a tiara. <laughs> so, um, she was actually during this period known for her dignified attentiveness and not one person could remember anything she actually said.
0: No, but she has a profession of uh, sorts as a she's a professional hostess.
1: She is, and she has this thing where she has this red velvet divan up on a dais, uh-huh. you know. And if you were favored, Mrs. Astor would signal to one of her people standing near, which sounds like a lady in waiting to me. Oh, totally. Signal to one of her ladies in waiting, which weren't called that, but to come get fetch you and and bring you to the to the lap of.
0: Of the queen, uh-huh. basically, for
1: her to speak to you. And then. And what every- a thrill it
0: would be to go to visit the disaster at the divan. And then everyone knew. And she dream. also has this portrait of herself where she greets people as they come in. It's this ginormous thing, and she stands below it. And of course, we'll give you a picture of that, but it's. She did not approve of photography, by the way. There's not no. that many pictures of disaster. There is Mrs. not. Astor. It's really hard. And, and there's one to her side. She wasn't a beautiful woman, but she wasn't, I mean, she was very sturdy looking, I guess is a good way to put it.
1: She had said that she wanted to rule over a contented realm and hoped everyone would behave properly, dress well, and enjoy her hospitality and take pleasure in her supremacy. (laughs) If that doesn't sound like some kind of queen.
0: I don't know what is.
1: Okay, now, this rival, another rival, I take two, it. although not really new money, Mamie Fish. Unfortunate name, but very old family.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Mamie Stuyvesant Fish. Stuyvesant. I just like saying Stuyvesant.
1: Yeah, that's, um, in fact, um, yeah, she's an older family than the Scrummerhorns, mm-hmm. but she was witty and always, um, her parties were full of gossip and intellectuals and, um, Ward McAllister had been taken up by her a little bit as he got dropped by everyone else. He was very useful. Mm-hmm. And oh, if, he knew you know. the rules. Yeah. That's for sure. But um, Mrs. Astor just kept inviting her and vaguely smiling and was notably unaffected by anything Mamie Fish did and that automatically made her still seem superior. Uh-huh. Like, feel free to dance about Mamie Fish with all your ridiculous notions, but here I am smiling on you. Oh, yes, Mamie Fish. it? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And so Mrs. Astor toward the end when she was a professional host and had 600 to 2,200 guests in her house all the time would receive under that great famous portrait. Mm-hmm. And then everyone was received. She would nod, look about, and go to bed. Go to bed. She did her thing. Her daughters were there. They could handle it. Absolutely. The, the staff sure. knew what they were
0: doing. There was nothing to be concerned about. She's been to this in. party before a few yeah. hundred times. So <laughs> she just would go to bed, which seems kind of... Um kind of cute. I don't know. It is, it is. And I, actually, she softens later in her life. She does. She does. Her daughter, Charlotte, has gone off and had an affair on her husband and has to be hauled back from Europe and according to the rules of society that mrs astor had put in play uh, her daughter should be pretty shunned at this point but no 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 it is her daughter and she's she's got her back and so who's standing under the portrait greeting the guests we accept her back into society because mrs astor basically is saying yeah except you her. will yeah and interesting charlotte was the only daughter that
1: had an arranged marriage the other three daughters married for love the mm-hmm. first two got away from her I think they didn't they got married woo before yeah. whoa, <laughs> the parents. And so they determined they were going to handle Charlotte's, and then Charlotte turned out so bad that Carrie was allowed we'll talk about this in the next podcast yeah. to marry someone they completely disapproved of but they allowed because she was in love and they didn't want Charlotte's thing to happen again right. and, you know yeah. And also, one of society, one of the society women who had fallen on a little hard times was very enterprising and opened a tea room. So she's in trade. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Astor purposely took people there and patronized the tea room and made it very fashionable
0: and acceptable to be in. So she supported people that were her friends. So she's softening. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. Unfortunately, um, at the peak of her softening, she kind of goes a little crazy. She's she's really overcome by dementia later in life and is living, you know, with her son Mm -hmm. and planning balls that no one will ever attend and writing out the invitations and planning the menus and driving down the street and waving at no one at nobody and talking and greeting people who aren't there. Her house was filled in the evenings with callers and
1: conversation, but there was nobody there kind of sad
0: and all those fancy
1: invitations she wrote her secretary uh would listen attentively write out all the mm-hmm. things and then they would be put in a drawer or thrown away in the fire they never got delivered um and then she would go shopping and upon orders of her son the merchants were to pretend that these were real orders and write them down and then they were to rip out the order and just simply throw it away and it says a lot about her that they did that yeah.
0: The merchants all did that. It was and it was a, a kindness,
1: yeah. I think, just to, not to call attention. Because she's her.
0: given so much to their businesses over the years that yeah. it's just good customer service.
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> at a, a clear little. moment, though, this is what she hoped for herself, for her memory. She had hoped that her reputation would be of dignity. While the current seekers of notoriety were no gentlewoman, she hoped she would be remembered for the dignity
0: of her life. I think she's dignified.
1: Yes, yeah, I'm still reminded of this picture that I see though that it's called After the Ball and it's a lady, a girl, young girl who's mm-hmm. obviously not been invited and mm-hmm. she's reading the newspaper and she looks so wistful and sad. And I just it's- keep thinking about all those, all those innocent people that were just shunned for no apparent reason other than the whim of these two people.
0: True. I, I, I agree. Yeah. But I'm going to say that I think that creating a group of people that understand you and surrounding yourself with them is actually something that a lot of us do we don't we don't speak our minds freely with groups of people that we know aren't going to get what we're saying that's true so i think that was part of what her and ward were doing and to i mean in a way grander scale um and yes they did shun people out but i i think it was kind of human yeah i think you're in some regards well, finally, uh, she's had a stroke, she's left society, and finally in 1908, at the age of 78, Caroline dies. You can still view her remains are interred at Trinity Church in New York City, and there is a obelisk Cenotaph. Thank you. There is a cenotaph... In obelisk. Her- <laughs> in her honor... Um, And, of course, we'll link you to that. Because there's a really cool website, you know, Find a Grave. I don't know if anyone's ever looked at that. It's just kind of fun-ish in a creepy sort of way to to go through that. So that's pretty cool. So Caroline passes away. Four years later, her son, John Jacob Astor, goes down on the Titanic, which is kind of a famous death um, tied to that family. Her her husband dies of an aneurysm in Paris, very sad. And society is left without any queen to regulate it. So what happens? The society really does fall apart into little
1: kingdoms. And it took three women to replace her as queen, but even together they never achieved one society. So you've got the formerly mentioned Alva Vanderbilt, Mm -hmm. she of the fancy French Chateau. We've got Mamie Fish, the witty person who stole Ward McAllister once he was dropped. And then Tessie Ulrichs. Who her most memorable thing to me is she had these planters outside of her house that was modeled after a French um, chateau of Marie Antoinette's, uh-huh. and she used to use them for target practice.
0: Nice.
1: So you know, Mrs. Astor's not going to love no, that. No, that's not her
0: kind of people at all. But we'll cover them more uh, more extensively in a in a future podcast. The parties get kooky, crazy. They're not the dignified. Rep- no, but they have a hint of fun
1: they do have a hint of fun the pie girl dinner where canaries and nightingale send a nudie
0: come out of a pie on the middle of the dinner table um, can you imagine mrs astor having seeing a pie a nudie come out of a pie oh my goodness Yikes! would you
1: eat that pie after i know no, i not think i would not with all those birds in there yeah, And so, um, yeah, Mamie Fish had some clever ones. She she had elephants and chimpanzees at a lot of her parties, and then she also invited all of society to meet the Prince Del Drago. And oh, my goodness, did everyone flock to meet the Prince Del Drago, who ended up being a dress-up monkey. Nice. So, <sighs> psych. And then um, also she and Ward McAllister thought it was totally funny to set a little dog covered with flour in the middle of a dinner party or the middle of a ballroom and just watch the hijinks as he ruined everyone's dresses on the way by. That does not sound very dignified to me. It's like a frat party with money. Mm and also okay here's one connection edith wharton famous edith wharton who wrote a book called the age of innocence about old new york her father and mrs Astor were first cousins and i have to recommend that movie the age of innocence yes although winona writers is woefully miscast you think so <laughs> yeah well yeah we'll have to do that as a special feature but yeah no good the costumery fabulous yes yes it's quite lovely. And um, also, if you are a fan of Marilyn Monroe, there is a reference to the 400 in the movie Some Like It Hot, which seems totally weird. Very random. So the quote from Marilyn Monroe is, Daddy threatened to cut me off without a cent. It was such a bore. Coming out, parties, cotillions, always the same 400.
0: <laughs> very <laughs> wah, wah.
1: Nice. And then I have to give a couple of books that I totally recommend here. Mrs. Astor's New York by Eric Holmberger is quite lovely, and it'll give you the details. It's got photographs, all kinds of of things for you. And even better is a book called Displaying Women, Spectacles of Leisure in Edith Wharton's New York by Maureen Montgomery. So if you're going to pick up um, two books, those are the ones that I recommend. And then the only other movie that really fits my time period that I like, there's a whole bunch of westerns. And that's not what we're looking for. No. I mean, it is the same time period, but that's, you know... And it's
0: so funny to think uh that... Laura Ingalls Wilder is living at the same time as Caroline Astor. And Helen Keller. And Helen Keller. We're in a bit of a rut right here with the time. We party, are. But That's okay.
1: Um, so there is another, just look it for, uh, for the costume. It's a Henry James novel, and I'm not too fond of this movie, but it's good for costumes. It's called The Golden Bowl, and it's got Uma Thurman in it. And Oh, love her. Uh, it has got Mr. Um, Knightley from Emma in it, too. Oh, really? Jeremy Northam. Ooh. The beautiful people are in this movie with beautiful costumes.
0: That's all I have to say about that. You can put it on mute, most likely, and you'd be fine. <laughs> Just have it going in the background while you have your ball. Yes. On your large screen TV in your in your ballroom and then yeah. let a dog run around with flowers. No,
1: this is a little bit later. A little bit later. The Titanic movie is, you know, set in nineteen twelve, which is mm-hmm. outside of our period. However, if you look at some of the older ladies, mm-hmm. you're gonna see you know how ladies don't always keep up with the current fashions. And Rose's mother is sort of, you know, more Gilded Age dressed.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, you can catch a glimpse of uh, the John Jacob Astor character, the son, the son. Uh, of Mrs. Astor. Yes. For fashion, go to fashion-era.com. They've, They've got all kinds of eras there, but click on Late Victorian Fashion, and that's the Gilded Age is what you're going to find. Or honestly, just Google Charles Worth and hit oh, images. Yeah. It just, Some of those gowns are yeah, astonishing. Amazing. We actually have a cool link. Carrie, the daughter with the electric fire on her head, the electric <laughs> star on her head. Her two sons donated to the Metropolitan Museum of Art two of her ball dresses, her actual ball dresses, Mrs. Astor's daughter, and they are in the collection. Um, and we'll post
0: a picture of them online. They're beautiful. So what the young ladies would be wearing? Right. Yes, they're beautiful. So what have you taken away from Mrs. Astor?
1: Caroline Astor, the Mrs. Astor was the ruler of society, the queen of America, for a few short decades. And um, society's never been the same again, and I think we've seen the last of the great queens of society in America. Well, thank you for <laughs> listening. See you next time. Bye! For show notes and links to the things we talked about today, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at The History Chicks. With an, an X. X. Or like us on Facebook, without an X. If you'd like to sit in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. The music in our podcast comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com.